0: Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right, well, open your Bibles this morning to Psalm chapter 1. Uh, before we dive back into our series in Mark, I thought it would be appropriate to start the year uh, with kind of getting back to the basics. I mean, isn't that what we uh, every year? You know, New Year's we're like, okay, this is the year, right? Uh, and I've resolved myself not to make those <laughs> resolutions. Somebody asked me this morning about it. I'm like, nah, I don't really have one because I know uh, it would have already been broken this morning, two days in. Um, and, and I'm going to get some of you off the hook. Those of you that are like thinking, well, I need to work out more, right? I need to take care of my body, um, which, is, which is really a good thing to do, believe me. I should do that. But scripture says something about that. And I'll give you something even better to do. Because uh, scripture in, uh, I think it's in 1 Timothy. Sorry, I'm shooting off the top of my head here. Uh, some of you know this scripture. It says, bodily exercise profits little. Right? The, uh, the apostle Paul was writing to Timothy saying, Hey, bodily exercise is good, but it profits little. But godliness, right, is better. Like focusing on God is better than bodily exercise. So I use that as my excuse not to work out this year. So I give you permission to do that too. No, I'm just kidding. My wife's like, No, you're, you're eating kale chips for lunch today. Hey, that's good stuff. <laughs> I'd rather have, you know, a bag of barbecue chips, but anyways. So with that said, we're going to focus on the godly side of this year. And I hope uh, you, like myself, you know, we're, have results, you know what, to, to get to know the Lord better this year, to follow the Lord. And, and I pray this morning that this message will, will help lead you in that direction. Uh, Psalm 1 is a a very famous and familiar psalm, right? If you start with the psalms in your readings, we always read this one. We may not get to Psalm 150, but you're like, I'm gonna get through the beginning. And so this one is actually one of my favorites and it has really a prescription for godliness. Um, And before we get, let's just read it. Let me read it and then we'll come back and describe what exactly the psalmist is talking about. So as I mentioned, open your Bibles, Psalm chapter one. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which, is, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this is the opening psalm to the, uh, the Psalter, and it has a, a lot of good advice for us that I want to look at this morning. And the first thing that I want to talk about is that word blessed, right? What does that mean when the psalmist uses blessed? Well, this is how the Lord defines blessed, at least in relation to this verse. Blessed can best be described as happy. Happy. So when you read that, it's how happy is the man who doesn't do these things, but does The following which we'll get to in a moment now happiness is not a mere feeling right because happy our feelings change often depending on the situation so that's not what he's talking about he's not talking about a mere feeling right because even us as believers when we don't feel happy we are still blessed we're still blessed by God even when we're not happy right, blessedness actually is a gift from God and it's given to those who receive God's gracious forgiveness. And blessedness also, or the blessed, I should say, live in anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises. That's kind of key to our blessedness is we know there's more to come. This isn't all that there is. And even in the midst of our sadness and the frustrations of the the daily life that we go through, we are still blessed. So don't confuse blessedness with the way that you're feeling emotionally, right? Because we go up and down. We can get sad. We can get depressed. We can be frustrated and angry. But in the midst of all that, you are still blessed if you've received the forgiveness of God. So Psalm 1 is God's prescription on how you can be blessed. Or on the flip side, how you can end up being unwise and ultimately facing the judgment of God. It's like a prescription from the doctor, right? When you're not feeling well, or when you're just going for your yearly checkup, the doctor gives you a prescription on how to handle whatever it is you went in for, right? Hey, if you take this, or if you do A, B, and C, this is how you're going to feel. But if you don't do it, then this is probably what is going to happen. And sometimes, right, we listen to the doctor and sometimes we don't listen to the doctor. Especially when he tells you, okay, you need to exercise, eat right, you know, you know, do less of this and do more of that. We're like, yeah, yeah, I know. I hear that every year. And we don't do it. And then we're wondering why we're not feeling that great. The same thing is with the psalmist. God has given you a prescription saying, here's, what, here's my prescription for you. The blessed life. This is how you receive God's blessedness, or feel blessed, or be blessed, I should say. And this is how you cannot feel that way. And like the doctor, when we get the prescription, we have the option to do it or don't do it. And each and every one of us this morning, and for this entire year, which I really hope this is a catalyst, a foundation for you for your year in walking close to God, have to make that decision on your own. Am I going to follow the prescription that the psalmist gives or am I not? And it's it's not always easy to do these things, I will admit. I've been a believer now for, um, I have to do the math real quick. I don't know. I think since I was like 18 or 19, somewhere in there. And I'm now years old. So uh, it's been a long time. And it, every day I have to remind myself, these are the things that God's called me to do. These are the things that, you know, are the prescription for blessedness. It's not easy. It's so much easier to do the wrong thing, isn't it? I mean, it's so, isn't it hard to eat healthy, right? And, and the world makes it so expensive to eat healthy. I mean, it's so much cheaper to go to Del Taco and get a burrito than to go to, I don't know, where's healthy, go to Panera maybe. <laughs> go to Panera and get a salad and then still be hungry like 30 minutes later. It's like, it's only a dollar. That used to be a dollar at Del Taco. I don't know what it is now. But anyways, you know what I mean, you know? It's like you could go to Trader Joe's and get healthy food or go to, you know, get all the cheap bad food. It's, the point is it's easier to do the wrong thing. Even in our, our own personal lives, it's easier to do the wrong things in life. Why is it so much harder to follow God? Jesus recognized this in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. You can write that verse down and I'll look it up later, but I'm going to read it to you. When when he was giving the prescription to those who were listening to him in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, Enter through the narrow gate, meaning the, the restricted area. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Think of that in our own world, in your own personal life. It's so, again, it's so much easier to go to the, the wide road. And we know there's many people in this world throughout human history who are going the wrong way. And it's so much harder to stay on that, that tight, narrow road. Jesus says, and there are few who find it. The unfortunate and sad reality is that, it, that the many people that we know probably in this world that we come across are going down that broad road to destruction. And there's, it's harder to go against the flow. And Jesus recognizes that. That's why he says that. And again, that's the, that's the reality of it. It's up to us as we stand at the crossroads in our own lives. If you're a believer or a non-believer, and you have to make that decision. God gives this prescription. Am I going to follow it? And if I do, these are the results. And if I don't, then these are the results. So with that, with that said, how can you live a blessed life according to Psalm one. And he gives just four points to do this. So for those of you that are note takers, this, this is your first note. How can you have a blessed life? He says this, do not live according, it's this, do not live according to the advice of the wicked or the non-believer. He says, how blessed is the man And he gives a negative, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or basically the non-believer. The wicked now are those who are hostile towards God or who are morally opposed to God. So it's not necessarily, hey, that's a bad person. All they do is bad things. No, but in God's eyes, you're wicked if you're hostile towards him or if you're opposed to him. He considers you wicked. And so the psalmist is telling us, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or don't listen to the non-believer who's morally opposed to God or hostile towards God. It's those who do not order their lives according to the way of God. They're saying, I don't follow God. I don't necessarily do what he says. I have my own plan. I follow this way. In God's eyes, that's a wicked person. That's a non-believer. So instead of following the ways of the Lord, they follow the dictates of their own hearts, which we've all been there before, especially before we were believers. God's scriptures did not rule our lives. We ruled our lives or another religion ruled our lives or philosophy or whatever it is in your life ruled your life. You followed the orders of those uh, dictates. Again, they were either your own heart or something else. It could have been a good moral philosophy. It could just be good advice. But if it was contrary to God's scriptures, then the psalmist is saying, don't follow the advice. Don't order your life according to that advice. Don't let that be the main influence in your life. He's saying, you want to be blessed, then don't live according to the advice of the wicked. Right? Scriptures, our scriptures contradict the world system over and over again, and they will continue to do so. Again, this is why Jesus said it's the narrow gate. Few who are, who find it. Because if we live according to the scriptures, guess what? We're going to oppose our world. Pastor John mentioned that we're going to do a, a, uh, a walk for life around an abortion clinic next month. The world says abortion's fine. It's women's reproductive rights. And they never say what they're actually doing is killing a child. That's science. We stand opposed to that aspect of worldly advice. We would say, no, you cannot kill a child. A woman could do whatever she wants with her body, but she can't kill the child that's inside of her. That's wrong. Scripture would back that up. That's just one example of worldly advice that the world would say, this is okay. And we would say, no, it's not. We don't live according to the advice of the wicked. No matter what they say, no matter how we are in the minority, it doesn't matter. That's what scripture says. There are many other things in popular culture that we could talk about. And that's just one because we brought it up. And I just wanted to make that point. Number two, how can you live a blessed life? It's that very second sentence in verse one. He says, nor stand in the path of sinners, which means don't live in the manner of the non-believer or in the same manner as the non-believer. A happy person, again, does not order their lives around the counsel of the wicked. And you don't take your marching orders from this world. The world's philosophy and the world's view is not your own. You don't live in the same manner. You don't take their advice, was the first one, and you don't order yourself in the same manners. You don't live like the rest of the world. We live contrary to the world's standards. That's what he's saying. And we'll get to the positive point on why to do this, if it's not self-evident. But again, you don't live according to the advice of the non-believers... And you don't live according to the manner of non-believers. That's why Christians, you know, for the most part, stand out. We don't live like everybody else. We don't walk like everybody else, so to speak, in the manner of our life. It's different. We go against what popular culture says when it's contrary to the word of God. And that leaves many of us in, you know, sometimes we're outcasts in the groups that we want to hang out with. Sometimes you're not included with other people. Sometimes you're looked at as a a weirdo, so to speak. And that's been church, that's been the believer's life since the beginning of the church. If you read church history, the entire societies wanted to get rid of Christians. Especially the first two centuries. It was like, you guys are the reason our world's falling apart, the Roman Empire said. And so therefore we need to get rid of you. We need to persecute you, throw you in the Colosseum where you were eaten by lions and, and, and thrown in the Colosseum for sport. There's many descriptions of, like that in, of that in church history. And there's no doubt we could even see that again, where, where society blames churches for the downfall of their society, churches for the downfall of certain people. Just because we oppose something doesn't mean we advocate the hurting of somebody, right? None of us are called to go out to abortion clinic and kill the doctors or burn down the abortion clinics. No, we don't do that. And we don't do that with people who want to live contrary to what we are called to live. But society can one day say, hey, you guys, we're, we're tired of you and we're shutting you down. We don't like what you're saying. We don't like what you're preaching. You preach hate because we don't agree with something we don't live in the manner of this world this is what the psalmist is saying he goes, how blessed is a man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners right so you're standing you're living that manner like the wicked thirdly how can you have a blessed life how can you live a blessed life it's that third sentence in the first verse so again he said don't Walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. And that third one is, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The picture is if you're sitting down with everybody who's mocking God, meaning you're in communion with them, you're in agreement with them, which is why the third point is don't live in communion with the wicked. Are you a part of that crowd? Do you live amongst that group? Is that who your main friends are? Are those who are against God? Scripture has some pretty clear dictates and orders for believers in regards to being in communion with the non-believer. And one of them is: do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17, the apostle Paul is speaking to the church about their association with their society and even the intermingling of believers and non-believers in marriage. And he says this, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light and darkness? Excuse me. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or or what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. God is telling the church through the Apostle Paul, there should be a major distinction or non-communion between you and a non-believer. So much so that you shouldn't be unequally yoked with them in marriage. If you remember in the Old Testament, over and over again, as ancient Israel was going into a new land, they were advised over and over again by God, do not intermarry with the nations around you. Do not give your sons or daughters to them. And it wasn't because Israel was racist. No, if you continue to read on it, it's because they are going, when you marry them, these people are going to have you serve and worship their gods and turn your heart from the the Lord God of Israel. That is the main point. Is when you were intermarrying, they were intermarrying with other religions. It caused the heart of of those men and women to turn. Think of uh, King Solomon. He he was marrying, you know, foreign wives who worshipped other gods. And what would happen? He would end up worshipping those gods as well. That was the point. They're going to turn your heart, which is why we have to be careful of who we commune with. We think that, you know what? I'm not going to turn. I'm not going to start acting like them. But more than likely than not, you will. You will be affected. You will be affected by those that you commune with. It's why the Apostle Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 through 34, that bad company corrupts good morals. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. He's telling them, you know, you're hanging out with these people and they have different priorities, different uh, gods, so to speak, in their own life. They're non-believers. They're opposed to me and they're going to corrupt you. Don't be deceived in thinking that you can commune with them because they're going to turn your heart from God. Now, this doesn't mean that we cannot hang out with people who are not believers or who are, yeah, we, we, doesn't mean we can't hang out with non-believers, right? We all live in society. We're not called to be monks and go live in a monastery to be away from everybody. That's not what we're called to do. And the apostle Paul recognizes this in 1 Corinthians 5, look at verses 9 through 13 earlier in 1 Corinthians and his instructions to the church. He says this, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. And look at what he says in verse 10. This is interesting. I did not mean at all with the immoral people of the world or with the covetous or the swindlers or idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world. He's saying, I told you guys not to hang out with non-believers or to, to associate with them. But then if you were to do that, you'd have to not be part of the world. You would have to go live in a monastery, And not be around anybody who's a non-believer. In verse 11 he says, But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. So he's saying, I don't want you to, I want you to disassociate yourself from a person in church. Who says they're a believer. But on the outside they live like a non-believer, that person we're called to disassociate from. In verse 12, he says, For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. It's more about the communion. Right? If we have a brother or sister in the church who claims to be a brother or sister, but yet is living Unlike them, then we are called as a church to remove that person from the church, no longer have communion with that person, so that they will see the, they will see the, the, the severity of their sins and repent. With an outsider, they're already sinful. so we don't we're not out there judging them on their last. Selves. God is going to judge them, but we're not supposed to commune with them as either. We're not supposed to partake of what they're partaking in. We're supposed to disassociate ourselves in that sense, but we still have to work alongside of them. And we, and we disassociate with them so that they don't influence us, right? We don't want them to, to influence us, but we want to influence them. So as much as we can, as, as you are as you're with a non-believer in the workplace or in society, be a witness toward, for them. Don't shun them like the, you know, like they have the plague or something. But again, they're not to be your main, uh, Main friends, the main people that you hang out with, because they're going to lead you astray, whether you believe it or not. So again, the the psalmist begins with three negatives on how to be, uh, to how how to have a blessed life or a happy life. And again, number one, do not live according to the advice of the wicked. Do not live in the manner of the wicked or non-believer, and do not commune with. The non-believer, right? Making them your main focus in life, your main associates in life. And then he goes on to the positive. So don't do things, but do don't do these three things, but do this. Look at verse two in Psalm chapter one. He says this, but, speaking of the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his and in his law he meditates day and night. So the fourth point. Of how to have a happy life or blessed life is to make it your pleasure or your and desire to follow God's ways. Make it your pleasure and desire to follow God's ways, as opposed to, as he just mentioned, the path, you know, the, the counsel of the wicked, the path of the sinners, and the seat of the scorners or scoffers. Instead of doing those three things, do this. But that's your prescription. Don't do these three things, but do this. And that is, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And that word delight means to desire or pleasure. Make it your pleasure in reading and learning God's laws. Each of us needs to ask ourselves, is reading God's word a delight and pleasure in our life? And if it isn't, why not? Why does God's word have no life or no place in the believer's life. That seems contrary, doesn't it? It shouldn't. It shouldn't be that way. Right? As as God's children, if we're to take advice from God, to follow God's laws, then we have to read them in order to know what he wants us to do. And this is why the psalmist is saying, the blessed person, it is his, he delights, or his delight is in the law of the Lord. And... In his law, he meditates day and night. Now, this does not mean that this guy stands around reading God's word all day long. That's not what the psalmist is saying. That meditation is talking about, it's it's something that's conscious, that he's aware of at all times. It means that this person has God's word inside of him so much that he's constantly thinking about God's law day and night, one, uh, one com- commentator said it this way, meditating, his name is, says, meditating is not the setting apart of a special time for personal devotions, but, and this is the point, it is the reflection on the word of God in the course of daily activities. The godly respond to life in accordance with God's word. It means that as you're going about your day, when a situation arises, God's word is one that governs you in the way that you make that decision. Because it's so ingrained in you. Because you've, you love learning God's word. You're familiar with God's word. That when something happens, just immediately you go, okay, God's word would advise me to do this or that in that situation. And that's why they're blessed. So it means that you're so familiar with God's word that you order your your life in that way as opposed to the way of the wicked that I mentioned earlier. Again, you base your decisions upon what the word of God says, not upon society, not upon philosophy. Basically on what God's word says. That's why in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 The writer concludes his discussion about those who have God's word so ingrained in them. He concludes by saying this. He says that they who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good from evil. He's saying a person who knows God's word so well has their senses trained to discern good and evil. They know instantaneously that's not or that's contrary to God's laws. That's contrary to God's way. And so they easily make that decision between right and wrong. They don't get swayed back and forth because of what society says or worldly philosophies say. They so have God's word ingrained in them that they know right away that that's wrong or they have a sense that that could be wrong. So again, that's why the psalmist says, make it your pleasure and desire to follow God's ways. That's the prescription for each and every one of us. And we have to make that decision. The psalmist doesn't conclude there, though. In verse three, he gives us, you know what? This is going to be the results of somebody who's living this way. Look at what he says. In verse three, he says, and he will be, so he's making a comparison of somebody who does this. He says, this is going to be the result. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. That's the result of the blessed life. What is that? Well, we need to uh, explain this a little bit because at first glance, you might read that and get a false assumption, especially with that last part, Whatever he does, he prospers. So that means if I follow God's prescription that whatever I do, I'm going to make money. I'm going to be wealthy. Everything's going to go well. Well, that would be a false assumption, as many of you already know. You see, the Old Testament often associates uh, the righteous with being prosperous. In Old Testament writings, the prophets are always saying that if you follow God, you're going to prosper you're going to do well when you go into the land. Well, prosperity in the Old Testament was a way of showing the Lord's favor or the Lord's blessing for the ones that were his. He's trying to make that description. If you follow me, I'm going to bless you. But if you don't follow me, then these things are going to happen to you. It's a, they contrast that with the wicked, again, who, who are brought to ruin. Like, if you don't follow me, then this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to turn away from me. And we've seen this. Remember when we went through Isaiah last year or two years ago, every time they would stop following the Lord, the prophets would come and, they, and he would say, hey, you guys need to turn. You need to turn back to the Lord because if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. And Isaiah warned them over and over and over again. Unfortunately, if you know uh, Israel's history, they didn't listen that they suffered ruin. Now, let me say this. These are not guarantees. This is not a guarantee. You know what? As I mentioned, if you follow God, nothing bad is ever going to happen in your life. Because each and every one of us could attest you know what? We've had bad things happen in our life. So we know that's not what the psalmist is saying. Otherwise, scripture would be a lie. And I would just say, hey, the scripture is not true. We might as well just go home and watch football because this doesn't matter. But obviously, that's not what it. That's not what he says, because even in the book of Psalms, it talks about the opposite. So when you read the the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, so like Job and Psalm and Proverbs, especially Psalms, it's a a book of poetry. It's not necessarily take every word literal that this is what's going to happen if you do that. You have to understand that when you read scripture, you have to take the literal sense of the text. If it was poetry, then you read it like poetry. If it's a song or a book of history, then you read it like that. Or if it's a prophet, you read it with those who understand this is a prophecy. So this, you would look at Psalms and especially Proverbs that these are practical advice for the believer. Right? Again, they're not guarantees. It'd be the same as saying, you know what? You know, we tell our kids if, If you you go to college and you get a degree, then you're gonna come out and you're gonna get a a good job. Is that always true? It's not always true, right? It's good practical advice. More doors will open up for you. More opportunities will open up for you. But there are many people who have bachelor's and master's degrees who are unemployed and can't find work. So they would say, mom and dad, you lied to me. I didn't get a job even though I went to school and racked up $40,000 in debt. That's not true. It's good practical advice. And I'm not saying, hey, Pastor Robert said don't go to college. No, I'd say, I didn't say that. I went to college. I would encourage you to go to college. So don't, I'm not saying that. My kids go to college, so I'd be a total hypocrite if I was saying that. Point being is that doesn't mean it's always guaranteed. Right? It's not guaranteed if I, if I go to work every day and I do my job that my boss is going to promote me. My boss is going to give me a raise. That's not, that's not a guarantee. But you're more likely to get that if you're there every day. You show up every day and you work. That opportunity is available to you more than if you didn't come to work and you were always late. And you didn't do your job and you were always texting on the job. It's good practical advice. The same is going on here in the Psalms. He's saying, if you do these things, this prescription, then then God is going to bless you. You're going to prosper. You're in a place of being blessed. Again, so following God in our lives doesn't necessarily guarantee that we're going to be prosperous in every area of our life. But it puts us on the right path. It puts us in a way of living the way God has designed us to live. This is what pleases God. And if God chooses to bless us great, If God chooses to use us and to go through a hard time for something else, then that is also great. God is at work in us. But again, the practical advice is if you do these things, then you're more likely or more apt to probably be blessed by God. You see, following God's way does guarantee prospering in one way for sure. It's it's promising us that one day we will inherit a prosperous future for sure. We have that promise. I think I started out earlier saying, but you know what? We have a a great future with the Lord. We have the promise of eternity. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. And we have that to look forward to. So what is the psalmist saying specifically here in verse 3? Again, he says, we will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. So picture a tree planted by a river. More likely that tree that is planted by a river is going to be bearing fruit. It's going to be green. The leaves are going to be strong opposed to a a tree that is not planted by a river. That is probably going to die because it's not getting supplied. And I think that's the point of the psalmist. He's saying that if you're close to this stream of water... Meaning the supplier, God, you are more apt to be provided for and sustained, which is the point here that God will be your provider. Those of you that are living the blessed life or following this prescription, God has promised to be your provider. Again, like the tree planted by the water, speaks of the closeness to God. If you're doing these things, you're closer to God in your life. And God's going to reward you for staying close to Him. God's blessing will be on everything that you do because you are doing it God's way. Charles Spurgeon, a a, a great uh, writer, theologian, and pastor, said it this way regarding prosperity. He says we might not always. He says we must not always estimate fulfillment of a promise by our own eyesight. So just because you don't see how God's prospering you doesn't mean it's not happening, right? We don't live by sight anyways. We live by faith. We're trusting God that even in the hard times and even in the sad times and the frustrating times that God is still God and he's still prospering us. Spurgeon also wrote, it is not outward prosperity, which Christians most desires, what the Christian most desires and values. It is the soul prosperity, which he longs for. He said, you want your soul to prosper, that happiness and that joy that wells up from inside that sometimes can't even be explained because you're close to the Lord, because God's your provider, because God's your sustainer. You see, God promises to hold on to you as you go through this life. Again, looking at verse three and speaking of that tree, he says, and its leaf does not wither. That talks of, of, of him being a sustainer. Of God doesn't let, you, let those things die. Again, God's holding you as you go through this life. God's promise is to be with you as you go through this life. That promise is not true for the non-believer. They don't have that promise that God is going to provide for them, that God is going to sustain them in this life, and especially not the next You see, Jesus said this this, uh, this as well in a similar way to a crowd in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He says this in describing those who listen to the Lord and follow the Lord. He says this, and this is something we should all hear. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words and acts on them. So that's that prescription, right? We hear the words of our doctors but do we act on them? God's saying the same thing. You hear these words of mine. Now it's time to act on them. So again, again, then again, or there again, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may, may be compared to a wise man. He's comparing you to a wise man, listen to this, who builds his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. This is what the psalmist is saying is if you're like this tree, you're close to the water, you're gonna be sustained, you're gonna be provided for. These things are not going, you're not gonna wither. And the storms of life, when they come, you will not fall, because I'm gonna sustain you. But he also has to give the other side of it. Because if you don't do these things, look at what Jesus says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. So you're hearing the sermon this morning. You hear these words, but you're like, I don't, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to act on them. This is Jesus' warning. He says, you will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. So the exact same situation as a person who built his home on the rock. He says, the rain fell, the, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell. And great was its fall. Great was its fall because you have no foundation. You have no hope. You have no provider. You have no sustainer. All you have is yourself. Your self determined will and whatever philosophy you're holding on to, guess what? That's not going to hold up. Jesus says it's going to fall, and great will that fall be. The psalmist says the exact same thing as we go back to Psalm 1. Look at verse 4. He says this. So he gives you this what happens to those who follow this prescription? What about those that don't? Verse four, he says, the wicked are not so. They're not going to prosper. He says, but they are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So like that strong tree, non-believers and those who don't follow God's laws, don't make God's laws their priority in life. They don't live according to them. He says, they're like chaff that the wind drives away, meaning they have no stability. There's no sustenance undergirding their life. Thus, their confidence is unstable. And not only that, their success, because we could all agree that, hey, there's non-believers that aren't in this church this morning or any church this morning that are doing just great financially. They're on top of the world, as a matter of fact. But what's going to happen? Well, their stability is, is their confidence is, is unstable and their success is only temporary. Their success is only temporary. Even if it lasts throughout their entire lifetime, that's temporary. In the side of eternity. That's why he says in verse five, the wicked will, will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Ultimately, the non-believer will be judged. We'll be judged for not making the Lord's laws his delight or pleasure. And they will be separated, it tells us here, from the righteous as they stand before the Lord. There's going to be a great separation when when we stand before God. Again, Jesus, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew 25 because Jesus talks about this time. And I want this to be a great warning to everybody this morning who hears my voice about how you determine to live your life. Because Jesus says in Matthew 25, let's go to verse, and I'm going to just skip around, but in verses 31 through 46 is the, is the text in its entirety, and it's about the judgment. And Jesus says this, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, this is verse 31, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is what the psalmist is talking about, standing in the assembly of the righteous. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for the foundation of the world. You see, that's the future for the blessed man. He has that assurance that one day he's going to stand before God and God's going to say, enter in. But it's going to be different for those who have chosen in this life to not make the Lord their God. Drop down to verse 41. It says this, then he will say to those on his left. So there's been this separation of people standing before God. And they will hear this. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Just think of hearing that when you stand before God. Because you've decided in this life that I don't want to follow God. That I want to oppose God. I want to do what I want to do. I'm not going to submit my life to the Lord. These are the words that you're going to hear. Depart from me a cursed one into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And Inver- Drop down to verse 46, because this is the conclusion of that. This is, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is what the psalmist is saying. Those who have chosen to not follow God's ways, this is their end. There's going to be this great separation, the psalmist says. The unrighteous will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. They won't be gathered up together. And then he concludes in in verse 6, going back to Psalm 1. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This This is a promise that God knows whose are his. And God sees us. God sees what we're doing. Sees how we try, how we're struggling in this world to live for him. We're not perfect We make mistakes and sometimes we follow him and sometimes we don't. But he sees your heart. He knows that decision you've made to follow him. So that should bring comfort and assurance to to those of you who said, no, I follow God, but I don't always choose to do the right thing. Sometimes I choose to do the wrong thing. But you're trying. You're trying because you love the Lord and you fall just because we live in a sinful and, and, and fallen world. But there's a, there's a big distinction for those who try and those who don't care. And this is what the psalmist is saying. So with that said, let's close with these last two points here. So starting today. So as I mentioned at the very beginning, I don't want you to, I don't want you to work out. <laughs> but I said I want you to make it your pleasure and desire to do two things this year. This is the doctor's orders, so to speak. I'm not a doctor. I only have a bachelor's degree, sorry. So I can't say Dr. Robert, the past. This is what I'm, I'm encouraging you guys to do this year. Number one, commune with God. Right, The psalmist was talking about communing with the wicked. Don't commune with the wicked. Instead, commune with God. That means this. Number one, immerse yourself in learning the word of God this year. I don't care what that looks like. If it means reading the Bible once a day, reading a chapter a day, reading a verse a day, listening to sermons, we live in a, in a time where we are so blessed to have God's word being proclaimed so much. There's really no excuse for any of us to not know the word of God. Whether you, know, whether you just listen to it in the car or at home in a podcast Will you commune with God that way? Will you immerse yourself in learning the word of God? That's one way to commune with God. Another way is prayer. Just praying to God. Again, it doesn't mean you spend all day and night in prayer. I don't pray like that. I pray like when I think about it, I pray. I'm not good at praying for like a half hour, 45 minutes. I would probably just end up falling asleep. And when we used to have a prayer group here, I... I unfortunately fell asleep on him one time <laughs> I think that is hey it's your turn to pray oh 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 I just I'm not good at that I'm better at someone tells you to pray I'll pray right then and there so I'm not here to say you have to pray a half hour a day an hour a day whatever God has blessed you with but just do it just pray commune with God in prayer or commune and commune with God in worship worship the Lord Again, some of these, especially the older hymns and and like the last song that we sung this morning, that's just pure worship. You're just worshiping God, declaring how awesome he is, communing with God. So that would be my, my doctor's orders, commune with God. And lastly, commune with believers. This is so important. Commune with believers. Again, make believers your closest friends. I want you guys to take an honest uh, assessment of your friends, the people that you commune with, the people that you are closest to, the people that you take advice from. Are they believers or non-believers? It usually describes where your your heart is and where you're going in life. Commune with believers, and now that worship with your fellow believers, meaning come to church. Don't take church for granted. Don't take fellowship for granted. I was talking to somebody this morning that they, they've come back to church because they've been away from it. They go, but I've been watching on TV and that's great, but it's not the same as being in church. I mean, when, when I had to like watch myself recorded on TV, that was the worst. <laughs> that was the worst. And my, my kids will probably say, yeah, it was because you were sitting there watching us watch you. <laughs> it's so much better to be here together with brothers and sisters worshiping together. Make that a priority this year. So again, start today by making it your pleasure to commune with God and commune with believers. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to read your word, to proclaim it and to hear it. But Lord, the more, most important thing for us that are hearing it this morning is to act upon it. Lord, to take the prescription and to live it out. Lord, that help us to be those people that build on the rock, on solid ground. Help us to be those people that choose the narrow path. Help us to be those people who commune with you, who desire and seek and find pleasure in your word. Lord, help us to do that this year. Help us to just take it day by day, though. Help us not to to give up. And Lord, when we mess up, remind us that you love us, that you've forgiven us, that you've already called us blessed, even when we don't feel like it, even when we're going through the hard times. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to remember that we are blessed. Again, not because we feel it, but because you've declared it because of what you have done for us. And I pray this morning for anybody this morning who who has rebelled against you by deciding, you know what, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to believe your word. I pray this morning that you would soften their hearts, that you would open their eyes and their ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to them. Lord, that they would not one day stand before God, stand before you and, and feel the, the pain of being separated from you for all eternity because they chose in this life to rebel against you by doing their own thing. Pray that they would see their need for you and that they would repent and cry out to you for forgiveness and commune with you all the days of their life. And pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.